Hello, and welcome back to A Sharper Life. I am your host, Nikki Sharp, a two-time best-selling author, wellness expert, and transformation coach. And I just wanted to say, if you are a returning listener, welcome back. And if you are new here, it is great to have you. A Sharper Life podcast is not your typical self-help podcast. It is a refreshing take on personal development where I break down oftentimes complex and confusing topics, making them easy to digest and fun to implement. Each week, I share episodes ranging from solos where it's just you and me as I share what you don't see on Instagram, tools I personally use to navigate challenging times in my life, and actionable tips for you to transform all areas of your life. So get a pen and paper ready because each episode is filled with nuggets that you are going to want to remember. I also mix in world-class interviews with experts such as Sheila Kelly, known as the Body Whisperer, Dr. Daniel Amen, and Jim Quick, who both specialize in brain health, as well as relationship and tantra teachers and everything and everyone in between. Now, I know you're going to love this show, but my only ask I'll ever make is that you take a quick moment to click that subscribe button. This helps the show to grow and it makes it possible for me to provide the world-class interviews as well as these weekly solo episodes. Now, I wanted to take a quick moment to highlight a recent review by Joyful Meg's 80 at 8.30, who says, Sharp, Nikki is refreshingly direct, witty, practical, and lends her personal experience with a touch of humor and grace to each episode. I always gain some inspiration and perspective and look forward to listening. Thank you again, Joyful Megs. And if you like the show, please share a review as it helps me to know which episodes and what guests you love. Now, today, I have an incredible interview with Amber Sears, who is a holistic lifestyle and business coach. She specializes in creating transformational retreats and teacher trainings, and she is deeply dedicated to helping women heal, awaken, and embody their most authentic selves unapologetically. And I can say that if you follow Amber online, you will know this. She is such a powerhouse when it comes to speaking about the truths and realities of everything that we all face in today's day and age. Amber recently also transitioned to a homestead lifestyle in Austin, Texas, where she currently is building out her dream hobby, farm with her husband and toddler. So she is married to JP Sears. And we talk about everything from fame to uh, breast illness, explants, and what it's like to live on a homestead. We talk about mindset and spiritual growth, when it is the time to take a step back from your business as well as dive forward. I mean, this interview has it all. Amber is such a force to be reckoned with, and I cannot wait for you to listen. So without further ado, here is Amber Sears on A Sharper Life. Amber, welcome to A Sharper Life. It is wonderful to have you today. Yes. Thank you so much for having me, Nikki. This is going to be fun. Super fun. And all things A Sharper Life... I'm just going to jump straight into the deep end here. So you've had your own business and you've have shared on other podcasts that you've made it a point to be a self-sufficient woman and really take care of yourself. 
then you and JP Sears, you meet, you marry, and you have a child. And since then, you've stopped your retreats, your coaching. Mm-hmm. Now, as an ambitious woman, has it ever felt like you've lost your own sense of self or identity being known, uh, being married to a celebrity or a well-known person? Yeah, gosh, you know, initially I really struggled with that when we were first together and um, I'll get to the part about motherhood and how that shifted me a lot because that alone was such a big transition in my identity, but the dating JP and he was really, you know, his, his fame really took off around the time that I was, I knew him, I was starting to to get to know him and he was already pretty well known, but really like it, it skyrocketed after I met him. And so we were on a, a ride together of like, okay, you're your career is booming. You've got comedy shows all over the country. I am now trying to decide what I'm going to do because I'm living in Costa Rica. My whole life is here. My tribe is here, my friends, my business. And I re- I knew that if I wanted to be with him, I would have to move back to the US. I would have to really radically change my life in order to be to fit into his world because his career was just on, like I said, on a rocket ship to the moon. So um so then I started touring with him and and then I realized really quickly, okay, this isn't work for me. Like, I'm not going to just tour and be this girl on your arm anymore. Like I have my whole, whole own thing I'm doing. I've got retreats and trainings and like this definitely doesn't work for me, but I wanted to try it out. I wanted to see like, what would it be like to be on tour with him, to travel with him? Um, and you know, along that journey, I realized like, okay, I'm, I'm starting to lose pieces of me the more that I really just dive in fully to his world. But I also, um, knew that in order for for me to be with him, if I wanted to marry him, which I really did, then that meant that I needed to leave my life in Costa Rica and build something new in, in Austin, which I started to do. But, um, and I was doing really great. And then the pandemic hit and then it was like, oh, everything started to shift and then motherhood and all that. But um, to speak to the, what it's like to be married to a celebrity, you know, early on, it was really challenging for me. We'd go to conferences where he's very well known. Everybody knows him. And when we go to these conferences, it's like, he's mobbed by people. You know, we stand in the conference room and there's 30, 40 people trying to get pictures with him, trying to get his attention. And I'm on his arm, like, hi, I'm here too. And it's like, nobody sees you. You all of a sudden are invisible. And for me, coming from my world of like, I lived in Costa Rica, I had this whole business, this whole brand, everybody knew me down there. I was very well known to then come to a new country and go, not a new country, but come back to my country (laughs) and go, you know, no one knows me here. They know my husband really well. And so then I, I I found myself having these kind of breakdowns with JP where I'm like, nobody sees me. Nobody cares to know my name, mm. my name. Nobody cares to know what I'm up to. Nobody cares to know what I'm doing in my life or who I am. They just care about you. And so, and then when we moved to Austin too, we, we also, you know, knew only people through him. And so then a lot of my connections came through him and it, I, I, quickly became somebody that people knew, but it was initially when we were dating, I think before we were married, it was like, oh, she's just a girl in his arm. She's not really like anything super special until we were married. And then once we were married, it's like, okay, this is JP's wife, but I can't tell you how many times I've been out in public and people are like, are you JP's wife? And I'm like, yeah, that's me. And I'm a person outside of being his wife very much so. And like, I have an identity and a business and all these things that I'm doing and my dreams and everything. But, and I don't think people, you know, have good intentions. Of course, they're not trying to be cruel, but it's like, it, it, it hits differently, you know? Um, and so it's something that I've had to work through and he's also stepped up and being like, you know, this is my amazing wife and this is what she does. And, you know, he's so good at like introducing me and, and helping me meet people. But it's just, um, it's something that I really struggled with initially. And so then I was like, okay, well, how am I going to stand in my truth and have my voice and do my thing still, um, and be known as who I am versus just being the wife. 
Wow. I, I mean, there's so much to unpack there. And just yeah. something that you said of people don't see me and something that I've really been kind of battling in my own life is this feeling of being around people where either I feel like a ghost around them, like my mother, oftentimes I'll be around her. And just as you said, it's not like she's doing this on purpose where I feel like I'm a ghost. I'm like, hi, am I, do you see, am I, do you see me? I'm here. And then there's other times where I'm around her and I'm like, it feels like I'm with the ghost. Like she mm -hmm. doesn't seem there. And it's so interesting when we get to these kind of, I want to say higher levels of just awareness or mm -hmm. presence. And it's like, Hey, hi, I'm a human being too. And I can only imagine how challenging that has been, at least in the beginning and probably triggered you a lot to do some inner healing right. because, you know, I don't want to say everyone, but a lot of people probably look at the celebrity lifestyle and they're like, oh my God, it's amazing. And it's, you know, and then you have JP who probably can't go places without being mobbed, as you said, and like having Correct. free space. And then you being like, wait, but hi, I'm, I'm a person too. Can you notice me? So from there, let's actually jump into made into motherhood because I can only sure. imagine that was another massive shift. So yeah. you start off with this incredible business and I actually have a question before what made you go to Costa Rica and live there and do everything there versus the U S yeah. So for me, um, I fell in love with Costa Rica. I was invited to teach at a festival called Envision Festival. I was living in San Francisco at the time. I had a whole business there, um, teaching Pilates and yoga and leading workshops and even doing retreats and stuff from there. That was like my home base. And I decided to move to Costa Rica because I just fell in love with the environment. I, I went down there. I met the people there that were like visionary and doing incredible work in the world, building sustainable communities. I was like, sign me up. I love this life. And also I'm a beach girl. So I'm like, if I could live at the ocean in the jungle with all the animals around me, I'm a happy person. And and I just felt like it was my soul. So I'm like, this is a place I'm, I feel the most lit up. And so I, I left everything in San Francisco, moved down there on my own, didn't know Spanish, like was just like, let's figure it out and hope it works. Um, and I stayed down, down there for seven years. So it was like, wow. yeah, so it, it was a huge part of my life and an amazing chapter of my life. And very much that full throttle maiden experience of like, living wild and free and just, you know, building community and living my dreams to the fullest. Like my dreams at that time were so different, right? I wanted to be location independent and travel the world and leave retreats and trainings all over the world. And I did all of that. So I'm really grateful. I had that experience before I became a mom. And it doesn't mean I can't still do that. It just means that there was a, there's been a break, <laughs> yeah. since, which there has to be when you're raising a, a baby. So, um, so yeah, it, that, that was, um, the, you know, what took me down there. So before we get into the whole made into mother, and I want to also have you explain those terms because yeah. I know that they're kind of thrown around and I don't know if a lot of people know them, but right. I do have a, a then a follow-up question from that of leaving for seven years and then coming back to the US almost as an expat at that point. That's right. Did you have trepidation? How did you feel about coming back to the US? Like for me, I'm dual citizen. So I've, I've lived all over the world. I've lived in Paris for a year. I've lived in London for multiple years. And awesome. it, when I'm in the U S for too long, it starts to hit me where I'm like, okay, I need to leave again. And especially with politics. And then when I yeah. come back, there's always a sense of, okay, I'm, I'm home, but I am curious about your, your experience with that being an expat and, and then coming back to kind of I guess a, a place that you, was no longer familiar per se. That's it. Yeah. And I moved back to a state that I didn't know either. So I was like just jumping into, I, cause I'm from California. So I moved to Texas and that was like a whole different animal. But I think, um, you know, for me living in Costa Rica, I never planned to come back. 
I was so happy there. And, and yes, there were pros and cons to living there for sure. I mean, it's still a second world country. There's still a lot of challenges. Every country has their own challenges and, and it's not as convenient and, you know, we don't have access to all the things down there. And so there were definitely challenges living there, but my reason for being there was the culture and the community value system they have there, right? Everything's about community and family and nature. And so for me, I'd never intended to come back to the US because I just loved being there. I loved what I, I received there. Well, it was so, so nourishing for me because it was so different from the US. People work to live there instead of living to work. And that's really what I needed from me at the time. I really needed to get out of my like boss babe, type A perfectionist mentality. And so it was good for me to move to the jungle and be like, everyone's so slow. And they're just like, hello, girl, you're so stressed. Like, why are you so stressed? You know? And so, um, so it was so good for me. Um, I needed that balance in my life. And then moving back to the US, I was like, I really was resistant to it because I knew what it was like growing up here. And I know how you know, programmed and indoctrinated people are here, sadly to say. And I, you know, we call it the matrix because it feels that way. And when you step out of it and you live in another country and you go, whoa, there's a whole nother world out here, how people live and work and love, right? And 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 have community and all this stuff. And and it's just so bizarre, I think, how we do things in the West. Once you've tasted the East and you've tasted mm -hmm. Central and South America, you go, and Europe, right? You're like, why are we doing things this way in the US? And so I had a lot of like, oh, uh, frustration and coming back. But I also, you know, really appreciate all the things we do have here. And I think once I, we got through the pandemic, it was like, oh, wow, I'm really grateful that we live in a country that values freedom, that has a constitution. Because had I been in Costa Rica or had I been in other places during the pandemic, oh man, our rights would have been taken away a lot more than they were here in Texas. So I'm really grateful, honestly, that we've been here through that turbulent time, even though it's been pretty intense. Wow. You know, I fully agree too. like living in Paris, that was the best year of my life hands down, because just as you said in America, we, we live in order to work. Everything is based around career and money and go, go, go and get shit done. And women, you know, get thrown into their masculine. And right. then you go somewhere else like that. As you said, you kind of escape the matrix and it was like seeing people just like men with their kids in the middle of the work day or like on the weekends, no phones. And I was just like, what is, what is this? Like, it was so foreign to me that when I come back, then I do find every time I come back, I, I have a level of stress because my mind immediately goes into like, okay, get shit done. Right. All, all the things. Right. Yeah. And, and I live in Miami, which is a very Latin culture of like, oh, it's fine. Whatever time you come. But I, it's, I don't live, those aren't my values. So it's, right. it's a bit challenging. Okay. So here we have you being in California, San Francisco, going to Costa Rica for seven years, then you meet JP. And I guess the, the abridged version of how did you guys meet and, yeah, sure. and, and fall in love? Like, was it a dating app? Was it a people introduced you? What was your, your love story? Yeah. So we actually met at a retreat in Costa Rica. So I was living down there. I was invited to teach at a retreat called International Tribe Design. And JP was also invited to teach. And so there was like, I'd say like six core facilitators at that retreat. And I was teaching like a Pilates and yoga workshop. He was teaching a um, like conscious communication workshop or something like that. And or conscious relating or something. And um, we met and uh, that, you know, there was so many incredible people at that event. And I remember just being so in awe of how he led, how he spoke. Cause I had only seen his videos, right? And his videos are pure satire and parody. Yeah, and I was I, gonna say, like, I can't really imagine JP teaching like a conscious 
communication or whatever course you said based on those videos. So I'm like, is there, are there two sides? I mean, everyone has multiple sides, but clearly there's a side that we don't get to see as much. Well, that's right. So before JP got into comedy and his YouTube videos, he was doing emotional healing coaching for about uh, 10 years and also personal training. And so he did it. He actually worked with Paul Chuck for many years and taught his workshops around the world. And so he has a huge background in um, emotional healing, uh, physical fitness and nutrition and all of that. And so he was doing a, a lot of coaching when around the time I met him, he was transitioning out of coaching because his YouTube channel was taken off. And that's when he was transitioning into comedy and stuff. So everything shifted around the time I met him. But, but yeah, so when I met him, I was like, whoa, because I didn't know. I was like, he's making vegan parody videos. And I'm like, this guy just doesn't get it because I'm vegan. So I'm like, okay, you're, you're kind of pissing me off. You're kind of triggering me, but, but let's see how this guy is in real life. He might be a total asshole or he might be really cool. And so I, I really just was like, wow, he's really humble. He's really sweet. He's very thoughtful. He's a great listener. Um, you know, great conversationalist. So yeah, we, we hit it off. And, um, and then, I was still at the, t- I was in an on and on, on again, off again relationship at the time with my business partner in Costa Rica. And so we were just getting to know each other's friends at the retreat. And then a couple of weeks later, I ended my relationship finally with my previous partner. And I reached out to JP maybe a week later. And I was like, I wanted to let you know, I ended this relationship. I'd love to get to know you. And he was like, me too. Cause we just had sparks were flying when we met. It was just like very clear. Our souls recognized each other on a really mm-hmm. deep level. And it was like, Ooh, okay. Something's here that we both haven't felt before. And so we started talking on zoom or FaceTime. And we did that for about three months before he could actually come down for our first real date in Costa Rica. And that's when he came down and he stayed for 10 days with me. We ventured all over. And then after that, it was just like, okay, we are, we're together, but then we lived in different countries. And then it was like, well, how are we going to bridge this? This is, I don't want to leave my life in the jungle and he's sure not going to leave the U S. And so we had to really come to some uh, agreement on that and ended up doing long distance for about a year and a half before we decided to, or for about a year before we um, got married and, and decided to like move to Austin. So yeah. It's kind of the nutshell. <laughs> and so, you know, as you're doing this long distance and then you move, move together, get married, have a baby, mm-hmm. I can only imagine, but I, I'd like to hear from you of the impact that had, because were you able to get to know each other on like a real deep level? Like, has it had any negative impact on you guys now today Or do you think that was actually really healthy and and helpful that you had kind of that time and space apart from each other? You know, I think it was really great in the beginning. It created a lot of polarity for us to have this, this space. And so when we did see each other, it was really intense and fiery and passionate. And then when we moved in together, we're like, oh, things are different now. Uh, Well, also we were still traveling a lot individually though. And so, you know, it worked for a while until it didn't work. So for example, we moved in together. I was teaching retreats and retrainings out of the country. I was gone for like several months at a time. I'd come back. He was traveling all over the country. And so we, we became passing ships in the night where we would see each other when we were in town. And, you know, but it, it wasn't, um, let's say the ideal lifestyle that we wanted together where we really had intimacy. We had quality time together consistently every week, every day, because we were coming and going so much. We we're both workaholics and just not really realizing we're, we're actually leaving our relationship on the back burner so that we can like have our careers. But so our, our development has gone from being basically two sh- passing ships in the night, workaholic types to really focusing more and prioritizing our relationship. That's been the shift since the beginning for us. But we learned really early on that was our pattern. Our pattern together was, okay, well, 
we can work ourselves into the ground, but that's not actually going to serve our marriage. Mm, amen, yeah. amen to that. And I think so many people get caught up in that, especially women, you know, you and I, and, right. and a lot of the listeners here uh, just really love and value their career and get kind of thrown in or choose to continue that pattern. And then it's like, yeah, the relationship absolutely gets put on the back burner and the relationship from what I've learned and studied should always be number one. Yes. Number one, always above kids, above your job, above, you know, above anything else, because everything trickles down from the health of your relationship. Would you agree with that? A thousand percent. And we've had to work on that so much. That's been a key focus is how do we prioritize each other with now having a toddler and all the things yeah. it's, you know, when kids has a whole another element to it um, because they require so much time and energy and you really have to like carve out time and really prioritize it. Like put it on your schedule, schedule your date night, schedule your intimacy time, like because otherwise it doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, yeah. and actually I was, I was going to say, or ask the question of, what are the things that you guys are doing to work on and prioritize? Like knowing his background, knowing your background, you both are very, it sounds like conscious communicators. Yeah. Is that what you're, do you go to therapy? What's kind of the inner workings of your marriage look like? Cause yeah. I know that's always a question that people want to know. Yeah. And I think it's really important to be really transparent about that because so many people are struggling or having obstacles. They're just dealing with a lot of stuff coming up in their marriage and it's all shoved under the rug and there's a lot of shame around talking about it. And unfortunately, every couple has challenges. Every couple is going to have to work through stuff. And it's something that I really didn't understand getting into marriage was I had, I had really unrealistic expectations of what a marriage would be. I really had this cookie cutter, like happily ever after thing that we're taught through the media and growing up and stuff. But really what it is, is you're facing some of your deepest wounds and deepest trauma with this person. You're having to face yourself in a way that um, a lot of people I don't think are really prepared for. <laughs> and that's why there's a mm -hmm. lot of divorce and a lot of like people not knowing what to do. And then we didn't have good examples and role models. So we didn't know from our parents' dynamics how to actually have great communication and how to mend wounds and how to heal trauma and how to do that together. And so a lot of what we've had to do, um, so we started coaching with an incredible coach named Annie Lala around that, like about three months after we had Wilder, we realized we need some support. <laughs> we're not, we're not doing well. We are like not communicating clearly. We feel like we're speaking different languages. You know, we're also exhausted trying to raise an infant. He's working full time. I'm raising Wilder. Um, and we're lacking intimacy and quality time together, just all the things. So we started working with Annie Lala and she was able to teach us a lot of communication tools and different strategies and, and structures to things that was really, really helpful. We worked with her for about two years and then we worked with Kimmy Inch for the last six months or so. She's incredible too. She's an intimacy and somatic yeah, coach. Kimmy, I know you've had came, her. She came on the the podcast as well. She's amazing. She's awesome. So yeah. we, we, we've um, definitely invested a lot of money into educating ourselves because I think, you know, JP had gone through some relationship coaching with his previous partner. They were together for about four years and I had never gone through any sort of relationship coaching. And so I feel like communication and relationships isn't taught to us growing up by anyone really in schools or by our parents. And so as adults, we're trying to figure this out. Like how, how do we communicate in a nonviolent way? And how do we deal with our own triggers and our own trauma and the things that come up when we're interfacing with our partners every day? Um, and they are a sacred mirror to like our work, our inner work. And so I think, you know, JP and I have done a lot of inner work prior to, we had done a lot of inner work prior to our marriage. And then it became, oh, no, no, this is like tenfold inner work. Like we have to really, really commit. And so 
for those of you listening who are like, oh my God, I'm battling this right now too. I'm feeling all these challenges. Like the inner work is required. It's really required to be able to maintain a healthy marriage. And we're still working on our stuff. I, I think we're, go we're both going through a pretty challenging period right now. JP's going through kind of like a midlife transition of, you know, that kind of midlife time where you're reevaluating everything. And I'm kind of going through my own version of that too. I'm 38, he's 42. We're both kind of in this, like, is this really what we want moving forward? We've been in five years, like we're reevaluating. Is this really... And if we are going to move forward together, then how do we want it to look different? You know, mm. so we're, we're in that dynamic right now and we're moving through it. And I'm really proud of us because we're doing, we're doing a lot of the work to make it happen. Um, because I think a lot of people give up, they give up yeah. and they're not willing to do the work and they're not willing to look at themselves and they're not willing to have the hard conversations and feel the hard feelings. And so then they just decide to end the relationship when only if they, if they, I think what I've realized is that these patterns are going to follow me no matter what relationship I'm in. And so I might as well work them out in this relationship and, and find the ways to overcome these things and heal my wounds so that I don't continue to do this in other relationships potentially in the future, you know? So this is, this is the marriage that I'm committed to, that I'm committed to doing the work in. And, and, um, that's, that's kind of where we're at. That's, I mean, it, it's so vulnerable and raw and, and beautiful. And I, I really commend you for sharing all of that. And I think, you're spot on with the relationships are our, our most intimate relationship, whether you're in a long-term partnership or even a short-term one, or, and especially a marriage, right. marriage is a whole nother beast. It right. does trauma or trigger all the past traumas. And I was chatting with a friend today about this word trauma. Cause I, I'm kind yeah. of tired of it. I, I never do. Like right. Like trauma. It's like, Oh, your trauma. What is trauma? It's, unprocessed emotions in the body and the mind that that's really just what trauma is and it's like yeah. it could have happened when you were five years old and you don't know what it was it could have happened yesterday from something but it it typically always goes back to something that's being re-traumatized or triggered from childhood and right. you know something that you said of it it's our job to do the work i think there's so many unrealistic expectations that people have of relationships saying right i'm gonna go in the marriage but my partner needs to change. And it's like, no, you, you as the individual, me, it, it is entirely solely 100% up to me to do my own work. And the more triggered I am, it's the invitation mm -hmm. to do the work even deeper. And you're so right that most people just, they run away from discomfort because right. as humans, we don't like to experience pain. Right. And what is, right. what is, uncomfortable feelings and emotions, well, they suck. They're, they're not pleasant. And so we run away from them, binging, numbing, distracting work, all yeah. the things. And so then you get like serial daters who just go to the relationship relationship. You get those who have the pattern that shut down kind of the narcissistic tendencies after six months. There's so many different things. And right. I just so commend you for doing the work and sharing it and, and giving people permission, because I think we have to, all change our expectations. Like relationships are so fucking hard. Yeah. And they're so beautiful when you start to do your own work. Yeah. And when you guys find your flow and, and I think the, the reality is that we're all growing and changing so rapidly right now, especially I feel like collectively there's a huge awakening happening. And so people are shifting through a lot of this stuff, even if they weren't in partnership. And, and so I, you know, as I talk to friends about their marriage and things, 
and things that are going on, it's really clear that a lot of people are struggling right now in their relationships um, and they're not talking about it. And there's a lot of shame around it. And that's why I want to talk about it because I think it's really important to normalize that we're all human. We all have the same shit. <laughs> going on. Um, but we often feel alone because we only see the highlight reel on social media and other media outlets, you know, people's perfect marriages and perfect lives. And it's like, it's just not real. It's just not real. How does JP feel about you sharing this sort of stuff? Like, is he, because he obviously does his comedy and kind of that's it, that's the brand. So right. is he open to you sharing this or is like, would he ever come out and share this sort of thing or or he's more like it's kind of amber you you do your thing you know he really trusts me he trusts my voice he trusts my um boundaries with this sort of thing and he's really open and and happy to share things i think just with his brand he's not doing the you know kind of conscious teacher thing anymore. And so his branding is very much focused on comedy and that's great. But my favorite things that he does, you know, his workshops and stuff like that, my favorite things that he does is are when he's sharing both both sides of himself, the comedian, yeah. the comedian who's so funny and the parody and the sarcasm, and then the real heartfelt, vulnerable, um, compassionate person that he is. That when people get to see that side, I think that's really beautiful because he's a very well-rounded person, but a lot of people don't see that because of his brand. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's, you know, I, I know that it's mostly women who listen to this podcast, but it is something that I'll, I'll share. And you and I, I know we've had discussions about it, just the, the magic and beauty when a man or the masculine energy shares vulnerably. Yes. Oh my God. For the female, it makes you want to take care of them and protect them and love them. And I think men have such a, a kind of backwards frame of view that if I'm vulnerable, I'm weak Right. And then they kind of shut down, put this armor up and it's like, no, 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 it's, it's completely the opposite. And so right. <laughs> I, it, it frustrates me too. Like what you're saying, none of this shit is taught in right. school. And I'm like, these are the things that we're all dealing with. Like if the divorce rate is 50%, don't you think that should be taught in school? It's a one, one out of two chance you're going to get divorced. Don't you think that would be maybe better the, to teach than the capital of Alaska? Right. J just a thought, right? Yeah. Yeah, or just how to like get along with people, right? Even the yeah. workplace. Like how do how do we co-create together? How do we, you know, better communicate even in work? Like we would be so much more efficient as a society if we actually had skills around that and leadership yeah. skills and you know, just yeah. So there's a little, the whole system's really broken here, which I think you and I agree on a lot. Yeah. Um yeah. It's one of the reasons we'll, I didn't we'll, like living here. <laughs> we'll talk more about that. So I want to come back to the the maiden to mother. So the maiden yeah. was you were in Costa Rica kind of living this dream life, doing your thing, independent. And so what, for those who don't know of these terms made into mother, what was that? And what was the journey like for you? Yeah. So when I reference made into mother, it just means that big transition between that maiden self where you're completely on your own. Yeah. You might have a partner, but like you really have the freedom and flexibility to live the life that you want to live the life of your dreams and you're wild and free and carefree in that regard. And then there's the motherhood, which is a completely new set of responsibilities of time, energy, self-sacrifice that is required when you first become a mother. And you are required just by the fact you have an infant to put some things on the back burner. And a lot of that, uh, often is career, self-care, right? Relationships. Like you've got to put a lot on the back burner to just devote all your time and energy to your baby, specifically that first couple years of life, definitely the first year. And so my journey into motherhood, into like, there's so many 
mental, emotional, and physical changes that happen when you go through that transition that you just won't know until you go through it. When you go through that process of having labor and postpartum, um, the emotions, the hormones, the physical changes that happen, it's tremendous. And so for women who haven't been through it, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around it. But those who have, you're just a different person on the other side of it. And so it's like, you're getting to know a completely new person. You're birthing yourself, basically. It's a big rebirth process. So you're having to figure out who am I on the other side of, of this motherhood transition? Um, how do I want to be in the world? Like what is now my service, my purpose, because your, your children become your purpose to some extent. Right. And every woman's really different. Like for me, I realized right after I had my son, I really want nothing to do with the things I was doing before. I don't want to do any online business coaching. I don't want to do retreats. It was just like a race delete, like not interested, which is very bizarre because that was like my purpose. I mean, I was like hell bent. This is my thing. I'm doing it till I die. Like that was it. I was, I have a podcast called Soul Power and I'm all about like soul purpose driven work, right? And so when I had my son and I knew it would shift to some extent, I didn't know how, how radically it would shift for me. And every woman's really different. Like some women, they maintain their businesses. They go back to work right away and they're really happy with their business the way it was. They might make some shifts, but it's not like a radical shift for them. But for me, it was like, I don't want any of this anymore. I just want to be with my son. I think my son is the most important thing I should be pouring all my energy into right now. And I really wanted to commit to that for like the first, at least like five years of his life is like really make sure I'm at least available part-time to take care of him and be present with him because because those years go by so quickly and they're so precious and I didn't want to miss any of it. And that was just my, my feeling, my instinct about it. And like I said, every mom is different and what they need to do financially. Like I was, we we're luckily in a place where I could financially not work and I could be a great mom and I didn't have to work. Um, I could be present with my son and a lot of women don't have that luxury. So I'm really, really grateful that I have that. A lot of women still have to work. Um, so yeah, that transition was really intense and I went, okay, well, I basically want to delete my website. <laughs> like, and I thank God I didn't because now I'm really coming back to myself and I'm really deciding now, okay, well, how do I want to move forward in business? What do I want to be doing? What do I want to be offering? But there was a time period for a couple of years where I was like, I just want to delete this and never look at it again. And that's crazy because I poured 15 years of my life into it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So it was radical <laughs> for me. You're, you're so right. Obviously like. I have no idea because I haven't been through that journey. And much like you, I'm like, I love my career. I love my business. My, like my, my UTP graduates, those are my, my babies. I get to watch exactly. them flourish and fly. And like, I really do feel like a proud mama to, to see them grow and change and evolve every year. And, and I do want kids. And I think that's, you know, something I've really been kind of battling with and, and not battling, that's the wrong word, but maybe like thinking about marinating on of what my life would be like, because just like you, I'm like, I don't want to be necessarily working crazy hours and as much, but the universe is so interesting and it really has slowed my career down. And I'm, I'm getting just as much done making, if not better money. And I'm working like hardly any hour. I mean, it goes through periods, but I'm like, it almost feels like the universe is kind of getting me set up for something that I'm not yet sure and aware of. And I'm like, okay, I, I receive whatever that is. Now let's talk about, cause we started the podcast with kind of the I identity and sense of self. So mm -hmm. I can only imagine how much it changed for you. And as you're saying about going from kind of career woman, were there any other identity shifts that occurred as you're going through this? Like, because I found you through JP. I don't even know how I, I think he probably came up on my discover page or someone sent me a video during COVID and at the very beginning. 
I started following you. I loved your content, but it has dramatically changed and shifted yes. from, no, actually, maybe I followed you before because I followed you guys way before you had Wilder too. Anyways, right. the point being is that, you know, your content has shifted as you became a mother. So I'd like to right. unpack that a little bit as well. And yeah. I know that you've lost followers from that. And I know, Very much you so. know, having certain viewpoints. So let's kind of sure. dig in and, and wrap that, that whole bundle a little bit. Yeah. So I think how I would describe it is I went from the more expert lens of like, here are the X, Y, Z to do's on how to live your life on how to build your business. Right. Cause I was very much a business coach and teaching lifestyle design and holistic living. And so I was very much coming from the teacher lens of like, this is how you change your life and do this and do that. And what shifted for me was first of all, I didn't have the interest in writing content like that anymore. And I also didn't feel like I was really much of an expert at the time because I was in the depths of motherhood and and was kind of had, I would say kind of lost my confidence around that to some extent. And, but I also realized that some of the most connective, impactful content I was writing was my storytelling, was sharing my journey, was sharing my motherhood journey. I mean, I collected thousands and thousands of followers just randomly by sharing my motherhood journey. And I was like, oh my gosh, these are women that have been available to me in terms of like an audience, but were never connected to me because they didn't resonate with me because I, I wasn't a mom yet, but they resonated with my journey. They wanted to follow the journey. And then I was like, okay, then I went through like this whole breast implant illness stuff. And that was a big journey that a lot of people found me through that. And so what I've learned is that sharing my story is one of them and my journey and how I go through these identity shifts and how I heal and how I think about the world and my perspectives, like all of that is more impactful than me coming from a teacher lens. And, yes. and I went, so this was a huge shift for me. And I said, okay, like if all I can do right now as a mom, cause I'm freaking exhausted. If all I can do is share how I'm navigating breastfeeding, co-sleeping and all the things, and that's somehow impacting people that I'm going to keep doing it. And, and it also helping me, it's like helping me express myself and heal and all the things it's helping me too. And so, and it's some, it's a way I'm giving back when I don't feel like I can give back in the traditional ways that I gave back as a teacher and, and a coach. And so, yeah. And I realized like, this is way more impactful. I have hundreds of comments now and long lengthy paragraphs. People are writing me and, and it's so, yeah, that that's, that's been the main shift. And then obviously we transitioned into like a homestead lifestyle too. So now I have a whole new audience of people who are interested in homesteading. And, um, recently I was sharing some dance videos, which are very similar to like content I did years ago. And people are falling off. They're like, why are you dancing now? I thought you were a homesteader, right? And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm homesteading, but I'm also very multifaceted. Like I love to dance. I've been a dancer my whole life. So it's like, you know, I lost like a couple thousand followers recently just for sharing some dance videos. And I'm like, okay, whatever. It doesn't resonate. But like, I think I'm, I'm at a point now where social media is a way that I serve and give back, but it's about me expressing what's most important to me at the time versus me catering to my audience so much the way that I used to. It's more like, this is what I want to share and express. And I hope it serves you. And it always does. And to some extent, but it's no longer me sitting down and like planning, like, okay, I'm going to teach this today. And that today. it's just not like that. There's just no structure to it anymore. Whereas it, it once was extremely structured. Wow. I, I, I resonate. I the child thing, I don't yet resonate. I'm right, sure right. I will one day. This, I resonate so much though, because for years, many years ago, like you, it was like, oh, because we kept hearing, you know, plan your content, do this. What are you going to be? Da, da, da. And, and I started realizing, I'm like, 
unless I have something to say that day, I don't want to post. Right. It, it was as simple as that. And on the days that I felt I quote unquote needed to, I was like, no, I don't need to. And which is why I'm doing a social media detox right now, because I'm like, I don't really have anything to share that's going to be of value while I'm going through what I'm going through because I need to focus on me. Right. But I so love what you're saying on that is I'm just going to share what resonates with me and the the right people at the right times are going to come. And if I always find it interesting that someone will unfollow you for like one thing you do, even though they like the 99% of the other things, I'm like, okay. Right. I agree. <laughs> it, it, it's very, very interesting. But I want to talk a little bit more about the homestead. Like, what does yeah. this mean to you? Why did you guys do it? When did you start it? And what does the vision look like for you? Yeah. So, you know, around the time that everything was going down with the pandemic, we, it became very clear to us that things are going down in the world. And we really made a conscious effort to think about, okay, we, we want to be out of the city. We don't want to necessarily, if things go down, over the next couple of years, which I, I do definitely feel there's going to be some breakdown in this country. Um, I don't know how bad it's going to get, but I have a feeling it's coming. And so we we really wanted to get out of the city, have have land, have space, which is something we both have always wanted. Like my dream from childhood was to have a farm. Always. My parents will tell you to this day, like I wanted, as soon as I saw the movie, Babe, I was like, I want a farm. You know, I want pigs, I want horses. I, that was just my thing. And I was an animal lover growing up my whole life. And so my parents had to battle me on that. Cause I'm like, can we get a pig? Can we get that? No, no, we're not getting any more animals. Um, so now I get to, I get to have my, my childhood dream, which is we live on a, almost a 13 acre, 13 acre ranch. And I'm collecting all the animals and doing all the work. And, you know, I'm responsible for all of them. JP's really not super into it. So he's like, if you want to get animals, great, but I'm the one taking care of all of them. Um, but it's my dream, you know, it's my childhood dream. But um, yeah, we were living in kind of a suburban neighborhood about a year ago, and we decided to make the big shift. We found a piece of land. It took us about a year to find a piece of land that we really loved. Excuse me. And then um, we did the big jump, and it's been a big lifestyle change for us because we went from being like 15 minutes from the city, having access to great restaurants and the whole city vibe, um, Barton Springs and stuff, to then being pretty much about half hour, 45 minutes from everything that most people do in Austin. And so, yeah, it creates more drive time. But for us, it's just so peaceful out here. There's not all the Wi-Fi networks and, you know, EMF exposure. Um, our nervous systems are just so much more regulated and grounded and happy here. And we just have so much space. It's just, it's a really big shift. Um, and being so surrounded by nature um, and having all the animals, it's just... Um, it's been a phenomenal shift for us. And I think what we're wanting to do, my vision, because this is, I think my, I have the bigger vision here because JP's just like, yeah, whatever you want to do, babe. And I'm like, let's do this. So I'm the manifesting generator. I've got all the, like the big vision for it. So my vision is to have like a huge garden where we've got 10 beds um, and we're make we're growing a lot of our own food. We're growing at least like 50% of our own food in terms of vegetables and fruits and stuff. And we've got chickens right now. We have goats. Um, I don't know if I'm going to take on any more animals at this time because we're not like JP eats the eggs, but we're not harvesting the animals. Like that's definitely not something I want to do and nor does JP. So, but if we needed to, let's say worst case scenario, we have chickens that lay eggs. We have chickens. If my husband wants to kill a chicken to eat chicken, like he can do that. Right. But it's, it's just, um, so we wanted to basically prepare ourselves. We're kind of preppers in that way. We wanted to prepare for worst case scenario, but we also are very much focused on continuing to live our life and have fun and like build and create and do all the things that we're doing. But with the the safety net of knowing like we're in a great place now where we can take care of ourselves, we can more so 
you can be more self-sustained and we can grow our own food and, you know, we can be more off grid. And that's something that we're working towards is having rainwater collection, digging a well, um, and all these projects cost a lot of money. So it's like a huge long list that we're just slowly checking off. We had to remodel the whole house. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's a big project. It's going to take years, but we're, we're thinking it's probably a 10 plus year commitment. We might want to move, you know, I don't know, something can happen. We might want to move, but we're really committed to this property and this land. So, but it's a whole new world of learning land management and um, gardening and, and how to work with nature and the ecosystems, you know, cause we have hawks picking up our chickens and I'm like, wait, like, how do I protect my chickens? And then I get geese to protect my chickens. And then I have to get dogs to protect my goats because the goats are being taken by coyotes, you know? So you're just really in like a, you're in nature's ecosystem and it's just a really cool, cool thing to be in. Wow. I mean, I just, I loved that. I loved listening to everything you, you just shared. And, you know, I feel like just what we were talking about earlier of leaving the matrix when you go to another country and and you actually not just travel, but you live abroad. I feel like what you're doing, it's something that even for me, like it's so far from anything I've experienced where I'm like, I don't know if I could, I mean, of course I could, right. But my mind is like, I don't know what I enjoy, but then right. yeah, when I think about going to Costa Rica or, or just places where like I slow down, I'm like, of course I could, that'd be magical and amazing. And, and right. it's cool to hear that you're doing that and really learning the, the ecosystems and how things work. And I can only imagine the, how this is impacting your son rather yes. than just being in, and I don't know if he's in preschool yet or not. Um, but you know, rather than just like immediately going into the school system, it's like, he's really learning to be around animals and energy and things of that nature. So that's, right. I mean, that for me is kind of my dream with kids is to teach that's them it. about the world, not just go to school. Totally. And that's what was a huge driving force for us as well. Like once Wilder was walking and he was like doing laps in our backyard in the suburbs, we're like, this isn't going to work for him. I mean, he's trying to get out the side gate to go walk down the street to the park. And I'm like, he, we need more land. Like this is crazy. And we wanted to, that was our dream together anyway, was to have more land and have the space. And so for Wilder now, it's like, everything's fenced in. He can just go run all afternoon. We spend roaming the property, digging in ditches, throwing stones into ponds, like just doing natural kid stuff. And my son would live outside. If I let him, he would live outside. He loves to be in nature. And, and so, and we knew that we knew we're that way and we knew he would be that way. And so we love this life for him. This is a dream lifestyle that we wanted for ourselves growing up. JP actually did grow up on a 10 acre um, property. So he did grow up in this sort of environment, but not like with a farm and everything, but like he grew up with, with a lot of land. And so, yeah, it feels very full circle. Like we're getting to experience our dream. Um, We are living our dream right now and that might shift, but right now we're really happy we're building it but for us having that for wilder is just priceless and he's not in preschool yet he does have a nanny that comes to watch him so i can have some time off and work time but um otherwise i'm here with him with the animals and we're just playing and having fun and creating stuff oh i i just it's i love it i'm gonna have to come visit you guys i, I yes, know we, yeah, you have we to. tried to make it happen i was in austin for such a short time but it it does sound just so magical the way I think because you and I have both done so much self-work, but also traveled. I think anytime you travel, it really does shift your focus. And, and you know, you and I, both with our bodies have gone through a lot just with food right. and, you know, for you, the, um, the breast illness and what is it? It's breast illness disorder or just it's breast illness, Bre- breast implant illness, breast implant. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. So I'd like to talk about, because it, 
on one sense, when I listen to your story and I know you more personally, I'm like, you know, there's a lot of things that have happened in your life. And and I'm like that. I'm like, there's a lot of things. So I kind of wonder, I'm like, am I attracting and manifesting like subconsciously all of these challenges that are happening? Or are they just happening because I'm supposed to work through those lessons? Because, you you know, you have had quite a lot of challenges, especially over the last couple of years of PTSD from various things. And oh, yeah. as you're saying, just with um, with your your breast implant. So I'd like to talk about that quickly. And then sure. just your, your awareness around that. Like, do you think you're replaying things out from childhood in order to heal them? Or are these just like unrelated events? Because I think it gives people insight and maybe inspiration to if they're going through a really hard time as right. to cause like someone like you and I who do a lot of this work. So let's first talk about the breast implant illness. Yeah, sure. So um in a nutshell, I had breast implants for 18 years and I had around so I, I had my son, I, I went through my postpartum period, which was pretty intense that first year. And then about six months later I started to become really ill. And I didn't know what was happening. I've always had really great health. I, I mean, I went like a decade without getting a cold. Like I, I, and I take really good care of myself. And so I was really thrown by how sick I was becoming really quickly. And it was like, my symptoms were just, whoo. And I, I dropped like 17 pounds in a couple months. I couldn't eat. I couldn't digest. Um, I was having severe anxiety and depression, chronic fatigue. I mean, the list goes on and on. I had so much going on. And, um, I went to a functional medicine doctor to figure out what was going on. Are my hormones off? Is this postpartum stuff? What's going on? And she found within my blood work um, a really common, uh, let's say, sign of basically chronic inflammation in my body, which is my blood platelet levels are really low. My lymphocytes are really high. And she says, it's really common. I see this with women with breast implants who are dealing with breast implant illness. Basically, your body is having a severe reaction to your implants. And this can develop over time. Some women, it happens right away. Some women, it's like takes 10 years to to develop. But for me, I had mine for 18 years and I should have had them replaced at the 10-year mark and I didn't and because I was afraid to go into the surgery again. And so um, 18 years go by and these things are still in my body and they're too old and they're leaching chemicals and toxins. And so since then, I've learned a lot about what is in implants and how they are in the body and how the body responds to them. And but at the time I was like, I just need to figure out why I feel like I'm dying and I need to fix it. And so I, I booked the surgery and I didn't know if this was going to be the answer. I really didn't. I was praying it was because I was so sick, but I decided that, okay, I have to explant and hopefully that's the root cause or one of the root causes as to why this is happening. Went through the explant. Right away, I woke up feeling like a totally different person. Um, again, wow. a big rebirth process. I felt like, okay, this huge weight is off of me. I feel like my I can finally heal now. I don't feel like I'm dying anymore. I feel like I'm healing. And my soul knew like this this was something big. And so six months later, all my symptoms are gone. And I'm like, okay, the, the, it definitely the implants were a huge root to what was going on. And sure, there's also the trauma and the emotional work and all the other stuff that that is a component to it that I've had to do since then and detox work I've had to do since then, right? So I've had to do detox, physical detox, a lot of somatic work, working on trauma, like, because all of it's related, right? But um, <laughs> thinking back to where I was, you know, a year ago, it's, it's night and day. I was really on my deathbed. So that was a really intense transition too, because my identity around my breast implants was really intense. You know, my whole, basically half my life, I had them and my entire sexual life, I'd had them. So, right. So when I was, I got them when I was 19. So from 19 to 38, 37, 
I had breast implants. And so my whole identity around my sexuality was tied into them as well. And so when they're removed and all of a sudden I have no boobs anymore, I'm like, okay, who am I again? Another big rebirth process, right? So the rebirth was with the pregnancy and, and birth of my child. And then this is like another big one. So it was just, it's felt, it's been a lot of identity shift, identity shift, identity shift. And it's been so much. I'm like, whoa, hold up universe. What is this? What is this? Right. So much. I'm like consulting astrologers. I'm like, something is going on in the stars right now. And it was like, if you, I talked to multiple astrologers and they're like, yeah, this is like Saturn and Pluto and all these things in your chart. This was meant to happen at this time for you. Wow. And it's a huge release of generational trauma of your own personal trauma. And, and it's all in the stars. Thank God. Cause I'm like, I must be going crazy. Like, what am I doing wrong here? Yeah. Cause, so, cause so much of, you know, we've done so much personal development. We're like, what am I doing? What am I believing? How am I attracting this? Right. We start right. to question. What have I and, not processed? What am right. I subconsciously manifesting? Yeah. <laughs> what am I doing to cause this in my life? And yeah. what I've learned is that a lot of this is out of our hands. As much as we think we're in control, we're not in control. There is a much larger force at play here. And we have to just surrender and trust the the process and the initiations. And I think something that you've shared that's really true is that we're never given anything we can't handle, even though it might feel like, yo, I can't really handle this. This feels like so overwhelming. I don't think I can get through it. And somehow you find a way. And so you were always strong enough to get through it. And I think we go through these things to learn the lessons that we need to learn to become better people. And so through all of this, even though it's been super hellish and there's been, it's been a very big dark night of my soul on the other side of it. Now I'm like, there's so many lessons I gleaned from that. There are so many takeaways that now have made me a better person and more compassionate and more empathetic person. Because before then I worked with people with anxiety and depression. I had no idea what that was like. I had no idea what it meant to be in the depths of depression so much that you're having suicidal thoughts. I didn't know what it was like to be so anxious. You didn't want to leave your house and you were afraid to close your eyes at night. I didn't know what that was like. And now I have a deep, deep understanding of that. And so now when I do work with people in the future, in whatever capacity that is, I have a lot more depth and understanding of like lived experience of what that's like. And I think I can coach from a different place or lead and teach from a different place. I mean, a amen to that. And that's something that's really gotten me through so many of the challenging times is just once I've come through it, right? it's like, oh, of, of course that had to happen. I right. see that that had to happen because, and I wouldn't actually take it back is the interesting thing because right. of who I am today and the compassion, like my, just based on everything you're sharing, like you know, I, I'm going through some just wild, wild stuff right now. And I, and I'm showing up in a more vulnerable, empathetic, compassionate way to my clients. And this round of my program that we're doing is, is hands down the, the best round we've had. And it's only a few weeks in. And that's because I'm, I'm showing up in the very way I'm teaching them to do. And by right. doing that, it's also helping me more gracefully get through the challenging times. And I think that's just something that I'm hearing you you say, and I really want to point out for everyone listening is shit's going to happen. <laughs> shit's that you can't happen. control, you and, can't have control. No, and have no part in manifesting. <laughs> Let's just say nope. that. And, and you don't know when it's going to happen. And you don't know if it's going to be boom, 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 you know, things run in threes, or if it's going to be fours, or if it's going to be something now and in 10 years, like we don't know. And what I'm really hearing you say, Amber, is just moving through it. And sure, it's overwhelming at times, but can, you just have to continue moving through it almost day by day. And then there is always light. Like something that really helps me is this sentence of the good news is nothing lasts or nothing. No, the good news is nothing lasts forever. Meaning like if something bad is happening, 
the bad news is nothing lasts forever if something good is happening. And so that like, that helps me if I'm not feeling good in a day or I'm really riding the waves of emotion, it's just like, okay, nothing lasts forever. This, this shall pass. And so I really acknowledge, you know, everything you've gone through. Do you feel like your childhood has had any effect on this? Like, did you have a a traumatic childhood? And when I say traumatics, you know, there's big T, little T trauma. Like, do you feel like any of that's impacting you today that you're still working through? I mean, absolutely. I think the the triggers that we experience as adults are deeply rooted in our childhood. And so a lot of the work I'm doing now, I'm going to be working with an EMDR specialist to help me work on some deeper childhood work, um, deeper childhood trauma, big T, little T trauma and stuff. Because I think back then when I was younger, I didn't, I would never call my childhood traumatic whatsoever. Like I had a very loving family. My parents were married for, they have been married for 45 years. I mean, a very loving home, very supportive home. Um, you know, my mom always, I was a dancer growing up. So she paid for all these amazing, you know, dance experiences for me. And so I was very supported and very loved and I, but, and you know, that doesn't mean that things don't happen. Right. Or that things don't, um, like one, one example I can think of in my childhood was, um, as an, uh, in elementary school and like second grade, um, I was like a very popular girl. I had a bunch of friends and some girl decided she just didn't like me and didn't want me to be popular or whatever. She's bully. And she told all the girls some rumor about me and the girls all decided not to be my friend. And I ended up actually having to leave the school and move to a different school at a young age um, because we talked to the parents of this kid with teacher conferences and the parents were very similar to the daughter. And so they weren't willing to do anything to change their daughter's behavior. So we ended up having to move schools and I had to make all new friends at a new school because I was being bullied. And so that in and of itself, like that has radically shifted my relationships with women, right? And how I engage with women. Um, I've had sisterhood wounds that I've had to overcome in my life because I'm like, can I trust women? Can I, you know, the competitive, manipulative, baddie, catty, backstabbing stuff that women do when we're young is really detrimental and like really hurtful. But it didn't occur to me until later in life, like, oh, that's probably why I have challenges with women in my life. Like why I have wounds around sisterhood and feeling accepted and loved by women and why I have a hard time, you know, accepting and loving women is because a lot of that stems from that time, you know, so that's work I've had to do. And then there's new layers of it that emerge as you get older and you go into other things. Like there's new layers that get triggered and you go, okay, I thought I did some healing work on this and I did, but there's still more there. Yeah. Wow. I, I appreciate too, like that example, because there are people who have had, like I had a seriously traumatic childhood from it from start until basically when I left for college and 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 from multiple reasons like my and when I say like neither one of my parents abused me or anything but neither one of them were I and I'm forgetting the thing but like when a child falls you know you pick the child up and you soothe it I I didn't get a lot of soothing growing up I I got kind of the antithesis of it and um got it you know and then things like when I was seven years old the ice cream man a convicted something or another I don't remember what but tried to steal me literally like that was traumatizing as all hell wow like a horrible horrible high school experience like you know, so it's like my soul has chosen a ridiculous level <laughs> amount of of things to deal with where it's yes. like, that's why I asked that question of, do you feel like you're ever subconsciously manifesting the troubles you have in life? Because that's been something I've had to yes. reconcile with and be like, 
like this is at, like the life that I've lived. People look at me and they're like, okay, there's this girl. She looks like Barbie. She's really pretty. Da da da. And it's like, I would not wish my life on anyone else, the trauma I've had to go through, because probably most people wouldn't be able to come out on the other side of it. Right. And I look at that and I'm just like, oh God, okay, what's, what's next? But I'm in a place and it sounds like you are too, which is why I think we resonate so deeply with each other of being very graceful and intentional and present with what we're doing, what we're saying, how we're acting so that it's not, we're not in reaction to the trauma or the trigger. It's what, am, what do I need to learn from this? What am I like right now, what I'm going through it, uh, an abundance of different things, but it's actually propelling me to really for the first time, take finances seriously. And I'm like, okay, let's gamify it. Let's, because I always used to be scared of finances. And right now I'm like, okay, let it, let's just do it. Like, I don't have the fear around it that I had anymore or nice. that I had before. And, and I think that's kind of, that's what one can look forward to when you actually do the work. The next challenge that comes doesn't feel like such a heavy challenge. It it almost feels like, okay, I'm going through this because I'm supposed to, and I'm clearly meant to learn something. So what, what is it that I need to learn? Let's just get ahead of the game. I feel Absolutely. like that's, Yeah. Yeah. And all of this builds resilience, right? I mean, the capacity, the resilience, uh, the patience and compassion for yourself, I think, so that you're able to navigate whatever future obstacles come. Like I feel very, I, I, I often say I'm in like, I don't give a fuck era where I'm like, I've been through so much hell. I'm like, I don't care what you think of me. I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to do my thing. If you don't like it. Okay. But I'm, I'm done people pleasing. I'm done trying to, like, I, I'm just done trying to do all the things and be all the things. And Oh my gosh, because once you, and then I think that's why we go through these things. We go through these things so that we build that resilience. We build that self-trust. We build that self-confidence and, and we become better people, um, through all of it as hard as it, as hard as it is. <laughs> Amen. So the last kind of, I know this was a little bit more of a conversation than kind of question answer with, which I find more interesting, but the last question that I have is what are your three tips for someone to live a sharper life? Hmm. Three tips. Oh man. Uh, first one would be focusing on, on your body. So having a dedicated self-care practice every day to drop into the wisdom of your body, to get out of the mind, the racing thoughts, the anxiety, all the things that in you know, the future projections, the past, all of it. So you can be present to drop out of that into the body, into the wisdom of the heart and the body. There's so much there that's untapped. And that's a huge part of what I, I teach and what I share is the importance of that. So definitely having that for yourself. Um, and that looks different for everybody. Um, that could be running on a treadmill. That could be dancing in your living room, right? Whatever that looks like. Uh, I think it's really important to do that. Um, meditation, working on your mind, working on your mindset, meditation, being still with yourself, being able to, and with that, I'll add being, being willing to feel your emotions, right? Being willing to sit with what's coming up. I know you talk about this a lot. Nikki and the work that you do, but it's so important that we're willing to feel our feelings, courageously sit with them, let them move through us and process um, so that we can come out the other side with more clarity, more energy, more focus, but we have to move through those things as they come up. And there's a, a, a lot of courage involved in being willing to sit with yourself, witness your mind, witness your emotions, and then learn from those in order to be able to change your life moving forward and take action um, from what you're learning inside. Um, and then I would say, Third is focusing on what lights you up. What are your greatest passions? What are the things that make you so happy in life? What brings you the most joy? 
because life is so freaking short. And especially once you go through the sorts of things I've been through with health and whatever, it's like you realize that you've wasted time on not doing things that you love on, on not really putting yourself out there, really shining bright, really expressing yourself in all the ways. Um, because I think what the world needs is more people lit up, more people lit up doing what they love, being in their joy, being of service, um, being connected to themselves. And that's how we're going to change the world, I think. And so in order to do that, you really have to self-cultivate. Okay. What are those things? Um, so that I can be a better parent. I can be a better lover. I can be a better friend, right? Like all those things I can better for, I can be better for myself. So yeah, those three. Beautiful. Well, th those might be the most, uh, beautiful answers that I've heard yet. So thank you for those. Awesome. <laughs> and Amber, where, where can people find you join your community? Yeah. So you guys can find me. My website is epicself.com. I'm not very active there though. I'd say I'm most active on Instagram. You guys can find me at Amber Lee Sears and Lee is spelled L E E all one word. And, um, I'd love to connect with you guys there. I share all my stuff with the stuff I'm going through the stuff I'm teaching. And so, yeah, looking forward to connect with you, connecting with you guys there. Well, thank you so much, Amber, for coming on. What a delicious, enlightening conversation. And until next week, here's to a sharper life. Mm -hmm.